<clears throat> I'm ready if you are. I am. All right. Thank you all for joining us. Um, as you know, we are going to get a, a we're going to get to know a little bit more about Kappa's first grand presidents. Our first three were Tade Hartsif, Charlotte Barrel, and Kate Cross. Uh, quick pop quiz: Anyone know who the actual first president of Kappa Kappa Gamma was? You can it's shout it out. It's not Denise Rugani. Spoiler alert. Then it Minnie Stewart. Yes. Thank you, Kelly. Good job. We don't have prizes today, but if we did, you would get it. Um, and one thing that I wanted to point out is that um, we found lots of cool things in the digital archives, but we didn't find things that would correspond exactly with every bit of information that we found. So they represent each of the early presidents, um, but don't get confused when we're talking about something specific and you'll see an image on the slide that may not exactly go with what it is that we are talking about. So as I mentioned, we're going to cover Tade Hartsif, Charlotte Barrel and Kate Cross. And some of you have probably seen our exhibit, Tradition of Leadership, Education to Enfranchisement, and that covers the first 100 years of Kappa history. And it was written by Edie Mayo, our favorite Kappa from Gamma Chi chapter, who is a, or who is a retired curator from the Smithsonian's American, uh, Museum of American History. And she noted that between the 1880s and, and the 1890s, Kappa really was a training ground for women, specifically Kappa's leaders. And though even though we know that Kappa still functions as a training ground for our members to become leaders and the very best versions of themselves, for during the fraternity's first 10 years, the leadership was drawn from the officers of the grand chapters. So the grand chapter for those that were chosen to oversee all fraternity operations. So the chapter president of that specific grand chapter also functioned as the president of the fraternity. So if you think about undergraduates today, <laughs> kind of crazy for that one grand chapter. <laughs> and it worked admirably for 10 years. That grand chapter form of government really was unsustainable. So by 1881, we moved to a grand council form of government, and we had our first grand president and other grand council officers that were elected at a convention to lead the organization. So it's in this period that the lives and careers of Kappa's presidents really reflected the general direction of the fraternity and the career options and the reform movements that were pioneered by educated women. Greek organizations became a training ground for women in parliamentary procedure, national organization, and administrative acumen. So as women found greater acceptance in college life, they proved false the fears that higher learning would harm a woman's health and reproductive capacity. They pulled the curtain on the ridiculous notion that learning would unsex women and proving that women's scholarship could equal that of men. They experienced less opposition and were no longer struggling and isolated. Kappa and other women's college fraternities produced a large cohort of highly educated women who fueled the women's reform movements of the progressive era, which happens between 1890 and 1920 in home economics, temperance, suffrage, social work, slum clearance, impure food, and drug legislation. So let's start with our favorite, the very first grand president, Tade Hartsif Coons. We all know the name. We've likely seen the portrait. We've heard her story. And 
after that great misunderstanding, which was the canceled convention of 1880, Tade attended the 1881 convention as they described her an eager, vivacious, black-eyed collegian with dark, curly hair pulled into long ringlets that fell down her back. She is credited with the suggestion to consider a grand council form of government. So while changing the fraternity bylaws to a grand council form of government wasn't the only revolutionary idea Tade had and put forth to the as the delegate from the Butler University's Mew chapter. The first business recorded in that convention minutes concerns the founding of a fraternity's publication, a proposal that originated with a committee Tade chaired. In adopting the idea, Kappa Kappa Gamma became the first women's fraternity to publish a magazine. As the first editor of the magazine, Minetta Taylor from DePaul wrote, Miss Hartsup and I found a common sympathy. She was a red hot radical or rather improver and I was a white hot one. We both believed with our hearts and minds and souls in the new women and her future. I can only hope that someone would describe me as favorably in the future. And because of that red hot radical description, uh, we lovingly call Tate at headquarters, Miss Hot Stuff. She uh, is, is quite the radical. Two years after graduation, Tade married John Coons in 1886 and settled in Pennsylvania. When part of the state became flooded three years later, she plunged into relief efforts for victims. She solicited contributions from as far away as Texas and Montana. That same year, throat pain threatened her with deafness, and on a doctor's advice, she and her husband moved to California for 18 months. That journey instilled in Tade a lifelong love of travel. So in 1890, she took her first trip to Europe. 14 years later, she took her first trip around the world and was gone three days short of a year. During this trip, she started to go deaf. When her husband died a year later, Tade continued to travel in earnest, and in 1930, she was described by the New York Sun as one of the most widely traveled women in the world. She journeyed seven times to Japan, traveled 3,000 miles up the Nile and the length of Africa, lived in the Valley of Kashmir, and visited both Persia, which is now Iran, and, and um, Siam, sorry, which is now Thailand. She attended the funerals of kings and emperors, Edward VII's coronation, and the Paris Exposition. She heard Sun Yat-sen sing speak on the first anniversary of the Republic of China. When she could, she attended conventions, sharing her adventures with her Kappa sisters. She urged internationalism at the Golden Jubilee Convention in 1920, and that's the same convention where she also presented the fraternity with her full-length portrait. It was in November of 1932 when the first copy of the History of Kappa Kappa Gamma Fraternity, 1870-1930, was given by author May C. Whiting Westerman, Nebraska, to Tade, who bequeathed it to, it to the fraternity archives. By 1936, she was not only deaf, but unable to use her eyes for more than an hour a day. In 1937, the year she passed, Kappa established its first foreign exchange program in her honor. Tade Hearts of Coons is remembered as a woman of unprecedented independence who was also friendly, generous, and tactful with a pervasive sense of humor. She's also remembered for her enthusiasm, not only about Kappa, but for women and their place in the world. During her last term as grand president, it was written in the Golden Key that the character of a fraternity is to some extent determined by the quality of its individual members. 
but its success as an organization depends upon their united efforts for the attainment of its aim and object. Both as chapters and as individual members of the fraternity, we are directly responsible for the name and reputation of our order. By organizing Kappa at the national level and providing a central means of communication, Tade placed the fraternity at the forefront of the women's movement organizationally, and that was alongside the women's suffrage societies and the temperance movement. Most women's groups didn't organize at the national level until the 1890s. So the strength of Kappa Kappa Gamma can be traced to the incredible leadership and foresight of Tade Hearts of Coons, a woman whose life is an inspiration not only for Kappas, but for all women. All right, so Tade is a massive figure in Kappa and among the women of her day. But now that we're at the doorstep of this next president, I kind of feel bad saying that Tade is everyone's favorite. Charlotte is now my favorite, and she'll likely be yours when we're done sharing about her as well. You're probably right, although I told you she was my favorite before all this. Anyway, why <laughs> um, I'm like, what do you mean she's your favorite? Um, so Charlotte Barrel Ware initiated at Phi Chapter at Boston University in 1882 and attended the 1884 convention as Phi's delegate. She was a rising senior. When she left the convention, she was a member of three committees and the second grand president of Kappa Kappa. <laughs> That's such a trajectory. Um, when I was, I had, was never a delegate actually for a Kappa convention, but when I came back for my first one, I was a freshman, so I can't imagine jumping up and being, being president. So according to Edie Mayo, again, Kappa's second grand president exemplifies the impact of the educated women on the nation. At the convention of 1884, Tade and others had discussed the strengths and weaknesses of the fraternity and decided that the next grand president should offer the intellectual and, and social stimulus of, of a Kappa from the East. So enter stage right, Charlotte Barrow. During her first year in the fraternity's highest office, she was also Boston University's junior proctor and senior class president. She was president of Gamma Delta and Open Society. She was graduated as a Phi Beta Kappa in the spring of 1885. And while Charlotte was grand president, membership in the fraternity was restricted to the college level and ex was restricted to the college level because they were allowing high school students in at that point. And experimental efforts with province conventions began. Her term also saw improved financial standing for the Golden Key. After graduation, Charlotte became a nationally known agricultural pioneer, producing the first certified pure milk in New England. From 1905 to 1913, she carried on an intensive dairy business, educating the public about the necessity of pure milk. Because of the dramatic rise in infant death rates from, from contaminated milk, her contributions were a significant step in national child health. It also made possible the many women's groups who served as, quote, milk ladies, educated women who organized the purchase and distribution of um, certified pure milk to poor and immigrant families. Her influence on agricultural on agriculture was local, national, and international. She was instrumental in educating the public on the benefits of milk and in the appointment of the Medical Milk Commission. She organized a dairy school and developed lectures that became university extension courses. In 1913, she was appointed to a European commission whose report was partly responsible for the creation of federal land banks. 
1922 and 24, Charlotte was the only woman in an assembly of more than 100 delegates at the International Institute of Agriculture in Rome. She also served as a secretary. During her career, she received numerous awards, including a gold medal from the Belgian government in 1924. When she received a Doctor of Humanities degree from Boston University in 1937, she was called an agrarian planner and true servant of humanity. And are we at all shocked that she agreed to be the secretary at this international meeting in Rome? <laughs> she was the only woman. She was probably like, yeah, we got to have a record of this, people. Um, I should have given you this slide, Denise. Sorry. Uh, most Kappas are acquainted with Charlotte because of the wear candles. Yeah, you should they are in permanent storage and fireproof storage at fraternity headquarters, and these silver candlesticks were first used at Charlotte's wedding to Robert Allison Ware in 1895. She presented them to the fraternity in 1935 after initiating the passing of the light ceremony at the Alpha Province Convention, which is now a beloved Kappa tradition. The century-old candlesticks were used in the closing service at each general convention and in the installation of new chapters before they were retired in 1998. So because this is one of my most favorite ceremonies, <laughs> so now we use um, the Wells candlesticks. So um, Jean has Wells. Was it Jean who gave them or? No, it wasn't. She had the Atlanta Alumni the Association. The Association, correct. In her memory. Yeah, gave them in her memory. And so that we were able to switch out and um, keep the wear candlesticks safe. And now we're using um, Jean's candlesticks mm -hmm. for each of the passing of lights, which we are also going to do, which I'm thrilled at KLC. We're going to have four to five um, undergraduates at from every chapter. And I think it's going to be amazing for them to be able to see passing of the light. Anyway, side note. <laughs> so in 1930, historian Mary Kingsbury Stimkovich, Boston, Stimkovich. wrote that Charlotte had an aristocrat aristocracy of spirit. Charlotte was a woman of imagination, intellect, and organizational skill who wanted her fraternity to represent the best of everything. Her dramatic presence at the 1930 convention, during which she held delegates enthralled with travel, reminiscing, and and words on Kappa's power for good, served as the inspiration for the Ware Cup, since retired. In her honor, the most outstanding chapter award is given at convention to the chapter that best ex exemplifies the ideals engraved on the cup. So at convention, the outstanding chapter award actually is a, um, or was a huge um, punch dish, basically a huge bowl with cups around it. First bestowed at the 1936 convention, the Ware Cups inscription recognizes Charlotte's, quote, character and service in the hope that it may prove a compelling challenge to friendship, selfless service, inspirational living, the fraternity ideals which her life so radiantly expresses. At that same convention in 1936, the fraternity voted to start a home for Cap alumni. At the dedication of the Boyd Hardstuff in Florida the following year, Charlotte announced she would deed Warelands to the fraternity for a second hearthstone. So we could have had two Kappa retirement homes. Yep, but when it was found to be unsuitable and a tremendous tax burden, Warelands was stole by the fraternity in 1948. The proceeds were used to establish the Charlotte Barrowware Scholarship Fund, awarded to students for graduate study in international relations, the welfare of women, and in, and in agriculture. 
Her influence as a leader and champion for women's education is still felt today by scholarship recipients and by anyone who witnesses the splendor of the passing of the light ceremony. All right. So Charlotte is a huge presence, both in personality and in height. But by 1888, the gavel would pass back to the Midwest. As Kappa's third grand president from 1888 to 1890, Kate Bird Cross's term coincided with the trend for women's organizations to unite together to empower themselves at a national level. All the elements were now in place to make women a significant force in national life. Kate became Kappa's third grand president after holding in succession every office of Chi Chapter after her initiation in September of 1884. She served as a fraternity grand marshal from 1886 to 1888, in charge of planning the Minneapolis Convention of 1888, at which she was elected by a membership most impressed with the arrangements she had made. In Kappa's 1930 history, she wrote that her presidency was, quote, the only office of importance I have held in my life. I have had many enthusiasms, many interests that have added material elements in a happy life, but my interest in Kappa Kappa Gamma is still heartfelt. I have a jealous concern for its well-being and success, such as one feels for a dear child. That concern is evident in the advances made during her term. Kate has been called one of the fraternity's great constructive leaders. A lover of colonial history and genealogy, Kate felt strongly that the fraternity's history should be written down and chapter archives preserved in good, strong box with a key, with a lock and key. She appointed Kappa's first historian, Mary Kingsbury from Boston, and the Boston, the position of Grand Registrar was added to the council in 1890. Registrars were named to keep chapter histories as well. Kate presided over several other developments. Chapter houses were encouraged and a move was made to finance them. Alumni associations without voting power came into favor. Chapters were asked to start libraries and observe Founders Day on October 13th. And how fitting is this after our last program? Significantly, the fraternity jewel and flower, the sapphire and iris, became Kappa symbols. Insignia were attached to the badges of officers to give them added prestige and respect. And this is a topic for a whole other program, chapter naming. I just got a question about this yesterday. But it was under Kate Cross that the beta prefix was used for the first time with beta alpha at Pennsylvania, which replaced the former custom of naming a new chapter after a closed one. This was a huge positive turn. The fraternity started reimbursing grand council and delegate convention expenses, and it was decided that council would meet annually between conventions, their expenses paid by the fraternity. Kate also put an emphasis on fraternity publications. Her term saw the printing of a second edition of the songbook, the first catalog or membership directory, the manual for corresponding secretaries, and the grand president's report, which was first published in 18, between 1888 and 1890. Outdated forms were discarded, which we still try to work on today, and more appropriate ones embraced to help offer to help officers deal with a yearly enlarging field of work. The fraternity, the fraternity's amended constitution and bylaws were printed for the first time. The power to amend given to the convention delegates only. The initiation ritual was revised, and the role and relevance of honorary members came under scrutiny for the first time. But the most important, but most important of Kate's credentials as president, 
may well be her grand council's decision to invite the other six women's fraternities to the first ever Panhellenic Convention in Boston in 1891, the precursor of the National Panhellenic Conference of today. This isn't a giant surprise given the fact, given the events of the day. In 1888, all existing women's organizations were invited to convene in Washington, D.C. to found the National and International Councils of Women. Cross's presidency also coincided with the reuniting of the radical and moderate wings of the women's suffragette movement into the National American Women's Suffrage Mo Association in 1890. So NPC was kind of a foregone conclusion. Exactly. Rounding out Kate's bio, if there's any question about the benefits of digital records, while preparing this script, I was able to update our own CAPA records with Kate's birth date, as it was previously unknown and it isn't listed on her headstone, but I found it on a passport application from 1922, which is fitting because this picture on the left are greetings from her from Paris for the 1928 convention. I was also sad to find a death certificate for a baby that was born prematurely, named for his father, Kate's husband, Francis Shenahan. Baby boy Francis was born and died in 1905 after Kate carried him for seven and a half months, so that premature birth and the baby's loss must have been heartbreaking for both Kate and her husband, Francis. And think about that timing. She was pregnant with baby Francis 15 years after she served as Kappa's third grand president. And when she became president, she was 24 years old. These Kappa leaders were so incredibly young. And Denise, I know you weren't 24 when you were president, but you were definitely young. So you kind of remind me of one another, holding this huge leadership position and then spending the rest of your life supporting the organization that means so much to you. It also left Kate some time to pursue other non-Kappa pursuits. She was a painter and she was known for poetic language, and she moved frequently after her marriage to Francis in May of 1891. Finally, when Kate and Francis settled in Minneapolis in 1909, Kate resumed her relationship with Kai Chapter at the University of Minnesota. Neither, neither Tate Hearts of Coombs nor Charlotte Barrowware had children, but Kate Cross, Sheenon, had three children who lived to adulthood, all daughters and all initiated at Kai Chapter. Her family also included two Kappa sisters, a Kappa sister-in-law and four Kappa nieces. She once wrote, as a family, we claim to stand high in Kappa content. <laughs> So there you have it, three incredible trailblazers who really helped set the stage for Kappa's success over the course of nearly 150 years. Now, of those three, can you pick a favorite? 